The Clueless Joe podcast is recorded at DBAT Nashville and brought to you by Rawlings, the nation's leading baseball and softball training academy franchise and the world's top baseball and softball brand have teamed up to create an exciting new partnership. DBAT, powered by Rawlings, the official ball, glove, and helmet of Major League Baseball. To learn more, go to Rawlings.com or visit your local DBAT. Say hey, baseball fans. Welcome to the Clueless Joe podcast, powered by Rawlings, episode one. Coming to you from D-Bat Nashville, the premier baseball and softball batting cage and training academy in Middle Tennessee. Developing beliefs, attitudes, and traditions, music city style. You can follow us on social media across all platforms at D-Bat Nashville. I'm your host, John Christ. I'm here with my team. Former Memphis Tiger, Zach Schreitenthal. What's up, guys? And former Georgetown Tiger, Ryan Gaynor. How we doing? Coming up later in the show, we're going to be joined by singer-songwriter Dalton Malden. He also just happens to play for the Savannah Bananas. But we begin with the rule changes coming to Major League Baseball next season. 2023 is going to look a little different than 2022. We're going to have a pitch timer. There's going to be limited defensive shifts. We're going to have bigger bases at first, second, and third. All these things seem to work in the minors, decreasing game time, increasing action. But, fellas, are they going to work in the majors? I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm a fan of, of all three of them, to be honest. Um, I, I, the only one I'm kind of unsure about is the bigger bases. I know they've tested it, and they want to up the steel, um, the steals, and do all of that. But I actually shout out to the Nashville Dollies uh, and our guy Kevin in the front office up there who got us a game on First Horizon Field with the Nashville Sounds play. And for the second half of the se- the Sound season, they used the 18-inch bases, and so they threw those out there when we played, and they are weird. It's. It seems weird it, to me. It's obnoxiously. They're obnoxiously big, and I just don't. Well, we've been looking at the same bases for our entire lives. Three inches doesn't throw, sound like much. But it's the a base lot. is literally twenty sure. percent bigger now. Yeah, yeah. It, it's a lot, and I, I, I really like the fact that it makes it a little bit safer for plays at first base. The first baseman has room to catch the ball without getting stepped on. He should never get stepped on anymore. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, you never know. Uh, but I, I'm just very interested to see the advantage, if any, that either the runner's going to have of getting to first base quicker or the first base and being closer to the ball. Sure. Granted, it's three inches, but still, it can make a big deal. Absolutely. Um, and, oh, bang, bang plays, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's going to make a difference for sure. It's just, I don't know how much of a difference it's going to make. Exactly. And it, I'm just confused by these rules slightly. And cuz they're take or they're making a pitch timer, which is I think good for the game. Love the pitch timer. Which yeah. I, I do think I, I baseball like should be faster and 
that's going to draw more people in because baseball has been known to be a slow game. Um, but with you getting rid of the shift, meaning there's going to be more hits and bigger bases that could potentially lead to more steals and not getting thrown out as, as much is going to slow it back down. And I know there's been testing on it, but it, According to minor league data, gains have been shortened by about 25 minutes or so, which yeah. is not insignificant. It, it's, it, I was just saying, it's 25 minutes. I mean, and how much, how much are these you've professional already, players going to follow? Well, let's say pitchers to be more specific, going to follow that pitch timer before, I mean, it's but definitely going to be up to Major League Baseball to enforce these things. Yeah. If it ends up being like traveling in the NBA where they sort of call yeah. them but not really, that's yeah. not what you want. How strict are they going right. to be? Well, the good thing is that there's literally a counting down clock yeah. somewhere in the ballpark, yeah. so it can't be ignored. It's almost like a, a play clock in the NFL. Yeah. But I went to a Nashville Sounds game this past year, and they had the pitch clock. It's 19 seconds and 14 seconds. In majors, it's going to be 20 and 15. Yeah. I thought it was really weird the first time I saw it, yeah. and by the second inning, I hardly noticed it at all. Yeah. So how about this, though? A part of that pitch timer rule is the the disengagement rule. Correct. Where uh, if you pick off twice, yeah, you can't you can't pick off anymore. I know. I don't get that. Weird. That's that. I, I don't like that. That's a part of the strategy of holding a runner on. Um, and what, what I mean, it doesn't it doesn't add it can't add up that much if you pick over a third time. Um, I get the mound visits and limiting those, but the disengagement rule, and if you pick off a third, what, it's, it's a ball? Uh, it's an automatic ball or it's something? It's a balk. Like? Balk. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's right, yeah. yeah. No, the first time I heard it, I didn't like it at all. I really didn't, because I, I was thinking to myself, okay, after two pickoff attempts, the guy's just going to get a 30-foot lead because he can't throw over there, but that's not truly the rule. So the third attempt, if you pick the guy off, you pick the guy off. If you don't pick the guy off, then it's a balk and he gets to advance. So it's if you you still have to protect as a base runner from getting picked off. You can't just take double your lead because you still can theoretically get picked off. I don't think okay. it's going to make a huge difference. Can you probably get an extra six inches on your lead? Sure, because you know he's going to be nervous about giving up a, a well, free base. Yeah, I mean they have to make a good throw over to the over to first. Mm -hmm. To, in order to get him out, but you'd run the risk of over. What if it's an overthrow, and does it drop dead and counts as a ball? Yeah, or there's can some he there's advance? some nuance there. That's what I. That's you know, yeah. it's just these new rules that it's going to be interesting to see how they go. This, I think it's going to be really screwy for about a month, and yeah. then I think we're going to forget yeah. about it, and it's going to be just fine. Yeah, I really do. Uh, and I mean, just as far as encouraging more steals go, I mean. It, how how big do you guys think nine percent is, as far as success rate, through uh, the minors as far as stealing bases from, uh, as far as the pitch timer goes, from two thousand nineteen to two thousand twenty two this season, this past season. How, I mean, is that is that a big number? It's significant enough. Yeah. Yes, I would say okay. two or three percent is not significant, but nine percent. Yeah, I think that makes a difference. Yeah. Yeah. Plus, if you if you poll baseball fans, and I know that they've done this at the major league level the most exciting plays to your typical baseball fan are things like doubles and triples and stolen bases. And these are the things that just aren't happening often enough. So if we can just encourage those exciting plays to happen, it's probably a better product. Yeah. I'm really, really interested to see how much advantage the bigger bases is going to be 
in regards to stealing bases. If it's going to make it, make it easier to get a hand in there, mm-hmm. you got more room to slide to the to the backside yeah. and tougher to block a bag if it, you exactly, got the ball. Exactly. Yeah. So I, yeah, I mean, your whole foot or knee can't cover every part of the bag anymore, so you can't block the base. I, I don't I, know. I'm, I'm, I say I'm very curious to see reactions on that. As far as I mean, if you're a cat, catcher right here. A guy slides into the far side of the bat when he really should be out, and he gets his hand in there. I mean, you're you're going to be probably pretty upset. Absolutely. But here's yeah. what I don't think is going to happen. What I don't think going to happen is Jorge Mateo is on first base. They've thrown over twice. They didn't get him, and now it's hey, he can't throw over there again. He's going automatically. He's going to be standing up on second base. I don't think that's going to be the case. Yeah. He can probably get a little bit of a bigger lead, a little more confident that the pitcher's not going to throw over. But I don't think you just assume a stolen base there, which I think is what some people are doing. Yeah. Again, though, at that at that level, that little extra inches, of course, little little bit of left difference on between it. safe and out. Yeah, yeah. I would. I mean, from a guy who did not burn up the base pass in my baseball career, I would feel more confident with a bigger bag. I, oh, as a as a base runner, I love the bigger bag. Of course, yeah. as a as a outsider now looking in, yeah. I'm like, and actually experiencing what that base looks like and feels like, yeah. it's. It, it, it's different, and yeah, it's going to be really, really cool to see the the impact that actually. Yeah, plays let's circle on the- back to the pitch timer here because that's one of the complaints. You get these flame throwing relievers coming out of the pen, and they take a minute between pitches, and no wonder they can hit ninety nine. Have, have every a sense time. of urgency. Exactly. Now, yeah. even if there's a guy in base, they've only got twenty seconds. They got to collect the ball. They got to get in the rubber, and they got to fire away. As opposed to. Walking off the mound, picking up the rosin bag, adjusting their hat, adjusting their sleeve, looking in, and then stepping off and stepping back on. And then, yeah, now they're, it's no different than being in the weight room. It's a lot easier to do that second rep with a minute in between as opposed to having to do them back to back. Yeah, I will say the new receivers they have in their hats that most everyone's using nowadays, I think, helps a lot in that regard as far sure. as the relievers go. So there should be no excuse that they're running this time clock out, to be honest. That's in my, in my opinion. I mean, have have a sense of ur- sense of urgency, yeah, and like let's get ready to go. Yeah, I mean, it didn't seem to be too much of a problem in the minors. Yeah. So, the only thing that I can think of, contrary to your point, is if I'm a catcher and I have to press these buttons on my wrist and I get a shake off, then I have to go and press another couple buttons rather than flashing down a one, getting shake shaken off, and then flashing down a two right away. But then again, that that can all be done. As he's getting the ball back and which round, is and coming back which is onto true. the mound, you are that is correct, yeah. And, and which I, that, uh, and I was a huge fan of the new receivers that they started using this year because for that reason, yeah, especially guys on second base when yeah, for guys sure. are coming into for a sure. jam, you don't have to worry about signs after two for sure. outs plus one. Yeah. But I, I think that's the, a perfect example of Joe Blow baseball fan. Just me as an old school guy and who's someone who played a lot of catcher. I liked giving signs. That was one of the things True. I thought was cool about the job. And when they started doing the receiver thing the first month of the season last year, I didn't like it. Yeah. I thought it was weird. And by May, I was used to it, and it was no big deal. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it didn't seem like the catchers had too much of an issue with it, but I do agree that flashing signs was was fun. I mean, sure. outside of the diamond, you're just sitting in bed, and you're working on how All fast, the time. How I mean, fast yeah. can I All the time. Yeah. Go yeah with nobody through, on base. You know, with no, nobody on base, there's no harm at putting it. A finger or two. Ryan yeah, also but. has no excuse to wear nail polish anymore, unfortunately. I know. I know. That was always a perk, for <laughs> sure. Putting white out on my fingernails, yeah. 
But think about it. I, I don't think it's a stark difference pitch to pitch, which is why this works. If you shaved off four seconds between pitches over the course of 300 pitches in a baseball game, that really, really adds up. Yeah. So yeah. I don't think in terms of game action, it's going to look much different. No. But if you can trim 20 minutes off the final product, that's it, really, really going to help people pay attention yeah. in the stands. It's going to make for a better TV and everything else. Yeah, I, I love it. Yeah, I, I'm a big fan of the pitch timer. Always have been. Get up there, ready to go, and it's. I think it's the same thing with batters too. Um, they have a pit. They're on a. They're on yeah. a clock. Oh, for sure. They're on a clock yeah. as well. I think and, they have to be in the box, basically yeah. ready to go when the timer hits eight or, seconds or, or something like or that. Or to strike. Like that. Yeah. 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 Yeah, you so, can't be like Paul Canerco back in the day. I mean, he's one of my beloved Conrad. White Sox. Or my boy Conrad, good point. You know, <laughs> human rain delay between pitches. Yeah, you can't step out and spit and fix your helmet and rip off your batting gloves and yeah. do all these things and cross yourself. You can't do that every I, single I, pitch. Huge fan. I agree. Huge fan of this whole this, of this part of the rule change. Yeah, no one cares about when I play, but when I played, my right foot was always in the batter's box. Step out with my left. Take a look at my sign. Get back in there. I was ready to go. So if it speeds up the average hitter, good. Yeah, absolutely. What about the shifts? Yeah, we didn't even talk about the shifts yet. Yeah, that's... I don't know. I'm in favor. It, it looks like more traditional baseball. As an infielder, I got to say, I think I like it. Hmm. I don't. What I don't like is that you can't be in the outfield. That is a little too much. But I'm I'm I've I've gotten very sick and tired of watching these baseball games and someone ropes one and you're like let's go what's a hit they yeah. pan out the guy's right there behind second base yeah and that, especially for a lefty like you so yeah exactly and I, I do think there should be a little bit of um, leeway with the infielders on where they can be but I like that there's got to be two on each side now if they put they if they chalk the base if they chalk that line that they did in the minors. I have a big problem with that. That's ugly. I'm actually with you. I think they went too far on the rule. I think if they just said you need to have two infielders on either side of second base, that's okay. And you can position them wherever you want. Yeah. If you've got a monster left, you up to bat, and that second baseman is essentially in a short right field, I was actually okay with that. But now they're not allowing that. He has to have his uh, cleats in the dirt, I suppose. Um, so I thought that was a bridge too far, but we'll see how it pans out once April gets here. Yeah, I don't know. I I feel like I'm a purist as far as baseball goes too. So I don't love I don't love the shift. I think it's gonna make it's gonna make a pretty big impact on pitch calling too. I really? think. Oh yeah. Oh sure. For sure. Yeah. I can't. I can't. I didn't throw even think about that. I mean, the thing about it is, I can throw. I can go change up away to you as a lefty, and you're gonna go butt out and roll over to the first baseman. Like now, it's. I don't. There was. There was easy ways to get guys out. You think of like Joey Gallo and stuff. And sure. I mean, they knew exactly what to throw him in order for him to ground out to second or first or K. Well, that's where the analytics kicks in. And it's just from a catcher standpoint, and I do have a lot of bias from this. I liked being able to manipulate hitters and now it's, they can hit, there's a bunch of holes for them to hit it through. Like I can't throw you a change up away and you roll over it or, a slider away to a righty and you roll over it. It's so you're saying now that Joey Gallo has more room on the right side of the absolutely. field. Absolutely. It plays into his Absolutely. Advantage. And they can't stand on the grass. He hits the ball. I mean, his yeah. exit velocity yeah. is probably yeah. 100 even on those ground balls to right. the shift. Now, do I expect Joey Gallo to be the American League MVP next year? Not. No. Of course but not. But might he stay hey. on a roster? Yeah. This might help. Bump yes. some averages up. 
Uh, think about how many players were played on the shift. Think about it. Mm-hmm. Because you knew their tendencies. You knew what to throw them and stuff. And I, it is going to add some excitement to the game and add more hits and stuff, which is great. It but, used to be uh, the occasional masher like a David Ortiz, saying. and now it's practically everybody in the lineup. I know. It's I, an overcorrection. I will say this, though. Uh, I'm kind of on MLB's side when, there's, when they say they want to highlight more the, the, the defensive ability. I mean, yeah, you position yourself as as best as you can make those infielders Sh- show, show your, some range show your stuff off yeah show some arm yeah mm-hmm. I, I mean so you have to you have to know. have your cleats in the dirt when the pitch is thrown after that you're good obviously See, well, this, yeah, then this you is can why adjust. i don't know if they've really released exactly how it's going to as as i read it as yeah your heels have to be in the dirt when the pitcher goes in his motion yeah. right but if there's a lefty up and the shortstop is one foot on the other side of second base because that's legal. And then the pitcher goes into his motion. Is he allowed to sprint over to get over and essentially have a shift? I don't, we're going to find out really, really quick because we all know the smart teams are going to push these boundaries as much as they possibly can. Absolutely. Yeah. You're going to have to, you're going to have to, I mean, you got to cover the ground ball up the middle. Right. And how are they going to make that happen? But I do like the idea of shortstop being shortstop. Yep. And I like the idea of second base being the more traditional base. play, I think, is good for the game. The I mean, we saw some crazy shifts the past right. few years. And it's just Right. Oh, it's exhausting. Basically the shortstop playing second base and the second baseman playing rover short right center field when the uh, a gallo type comes up and it, it just doesn't seem like baseball to me. Yeah. Now, should he have learned to hit it the other way? Of course. Absolutely. C- could he be like Anthony Rizzo and drop down the occasional bunt down the third baseline? Of course, but these guys just don't do that. They should, but they don't. It's nice to have that in your repertoire, though. That it would you, be nice. That you can do that, like a Robinson Cano or something. It was so fun to watch him put a ball down the line and just destroy the shit. Imagine trying to shift on Tony Gwynn. Yeah. Could you imagine? Well, yeah. I mean, that would. I would never shift against Tony Gwynn. Of course. <laughs> he doesn't care where you're lined up. He'll just no. throw it out there in the, in the hole. Yeah. So I, I don't know. I think it's going to be very interesting, like you said, the first month to see what teams do with this and how far they can stretch the rule as to who needs to be where when contact is made with the ball. So, so that's the thing, too. Uh, I mean, how many, how many times do you think we will see them maximize that room? Like, or you think they'll probably play a little bit more traditional now? My guess is if there's a hard-hitting pull, you know, lefty up, the shortstop's going to play an inch on the other side of the bag. Yeah. He'll be as close to a ship as he possibly can be without it being okay. against the rules. That's yeah. my guess. I don't expect him to be playing traditional shortstop. Yeah. That's my guess. Yeah. I'm I'll also very curious. I think that April's going to look a lot different from May. I yeah. think May is going to look a lot different from yeah. June. Yeah. And I'm also very curious to see if there's stark differences between all the clubs. Are, are like the super young yeah. analytics heavy clubs like you know, the Rays? Yeah. yeah. Are they going to have a certain way to do it? And then an old school club like you know, pick whomever, you know, my White Sox, who are not very forward thinking. Are they going to do it another way? Will we get to the point where post All-Star break, everyone has sort of figured it out, now they all do it exactly the same? I don't know. Yeah. I definitely see teams like the Rays, the Astros, and, and those guys doing it all pretty different than sure. your traditional teams. Sure. Um, they're not just going to say, hey, we can't shift anymore. They're going to look in the data and say, okay, we can't yeah, shift gonna, all I mean, the way, just, yeah. but we got a better chance of fielding this ground ball 100%. if my shortstop is here. 100%. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. They'll find loopholes. They always do. 
rosin and See, sweat. Now, do we think they're going to make any rule changes midseason to adjust with how this plays? Do you think they've done enough enough research? I think to, that, to uh, again, I'm not 100% certain on how the rule is written, but right. it, like I said before, if it is only when the pitcher goes in his motion, you know, there's some guys with some long motions and some long windups, and there's a lot of sp- – Absolutely. room that guys can cover do you, before the ball is Do you tell your pitcher play. to take more time in his windup so a, ki- so a guy can run over there? Sure. We all turn into Johnny Cueto. That's what I'm yeah. saying. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's, yeah, that's, that's my thing is, uh, you, you make the rule, you, you got to stick to it though. You yeah. don't, don't pull I think out you can, some all-star I think you, break rule change. Well, yeah. I think just you can to, make amendments I know you're a hockey man, but that's NHL stuff right yeah, there. Yeah. Yeah. I you, think you can make amendments to it. I'm not saying you have to just not completely get, no, I don't think I, I just, I think you at least have to give it to the All Star break. I think yeah. All Star break is good. Yeah. I don't think you should have to go all of yeah the yeah, whole that's, season that's if, if, if the it's, rule if is it's, not working if out. If it's very obnoxious, then yeah, okay, I see that. Yeah. All right, let's go ahead and take a break. When we come back, we're gonna have a conversation with Dalton Malden of the Savannah Bananas. <laughs> Dalton Malden, he's a singer songwriter living here in Nashville because this is where all young singer songwriters live. That's right. He has over 105,000 followers on Instagram. He has a song called Nights Without You with over 7.5 million plays on Spotify alone. But the main reason he's here is he's also a switch-hitting middle infielder for what's become the most popular baseball team in all of America, (laughs) the Savannah Bananas. No, he's not doing this interview while walking on stilts. But uh, Dalton, thanks so much for coming in. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Yeah, it's great to finally meet you. Um, I told you I was from the Jacksonville area, Fletcher High School out of the beach. You're from Lake City, Florida, not too far away, just about an hour or so down I-10, Columbia High School, which I remember as being a real football powerhouse back in the day. Granted, that was three decades ago. <laughs> but back in those days, you know, we were just a typical high school jock or we were some amalgam of athlete and musician and class clown, if you will. Yeah. Yep. All three? Oh, you're asking me. Yes, I'm asking you. You're the, you're, you're the guy for the interview. I thought you were just explaining them. I, I thought you were talking about three decades ago what it was like. No, I was definitely the, uh, the athlete. The musician thing didn't come in until way later. Okay. So a little bit of class clown in the dugout as well. I mean, were you known as kind of that guy? Uh, no, I was pretty serious. I, I didn't want anybody. I didn't want my dad especially seeing me mess around or anything. So I was, I was pretty serious every game. Okay. So like a lot of college baseball players, you know, your career wasn't exactly linear. You know, you ended up uh, at Trevecca Nazarene University, really good, solid Division II program here in Nashville, but it took you a little while to get there. So just tell us about your journey as a college player. Yeah, my journey started, I graduated high school and went to College of Central Florida down in Ocala. It's a junior college coached by Marty Smith. Played there for two years. Uh, Right after that, I started having some arm issues and I ended up taking a year off just to kind of work and make some money and whatnot like that and uh, also take care of my arm. So I moved down to Fort Myers, Florida for a year. Uh, Just got a job TGI Fridays. Shout out yeah. to them. I love that job so much. Would Lots of flair, I presume. I would, yeah, I would literally work it tomorrow. I just, I loved it there so much. Um, but then at the same time, I spent every day practicing. A good buddy of mine plays for the Cleveland Guardians. Name's Miles Straw. Uh, we would practice pretty much every day down there <clears throat> during the off season. And so I did that and then committed to a school called Bethune-Cookman, Division One school at Daytona Beach. Played there the next year. Went there in the fall, uh, in the spring. 
they put me in to pitch against the uh, University of South Florida, <clears throat> which I did not come in as a pitcher, uh, but they knew I could throw decently hard and throw strikes. So I was like, yeah, put me in. I'll, I'll do it. I'll come and close this, this game. I uh, ended up messing up my arm again. So then uh, that was in February, so probably like the sixth or seventh game. wasn't wasn't far into the season because we had some injuries already, as you could tell. Like they they needed me to come in to pitch, and so ended up getting redshirted the rest of the year. Couldn't play at all. I <clears throat> uh, got did some therapy, got some shots in my arm and whatnot. Um, then I moved out to Wyoming to play summer ball out in the Expedition League. Had a really good year, if I recall too. Yep, very good up year the out there. <clears throat> yes, that was good. I because uh, I went from not playing a game in Feb- since February to playing a full 50-game season in, in uh, the summer and played pretty well. I was, I was pretty surprised, to be honest with you. You hit 370. I looked it up. Yeah. <laughs> had a, I had a good year. I'm pretty, I went into it, and everybody was like, like, where do you play at? Where are you from? And I'm like, dude, I'm just, I'm just playing good. This is not normal. And uh, so anyways, that happened and um, got connected with um, one of our coaches. Actually, I was talking to him a long, about a long time ago. He went to Treveca back in probably the – probably in the 80s, uh, but he was one of my coaches there in Wyoming, and he was talking about fishing one day, and at this point in time, I was trying to transfer to a school in the Nashville area to pursue Music One and play baseball, <clears throat> but at the time, you couldn't go Division One to Division One uh, without sitting out a year, and I did not want to sit out another year, because I basically spent the last two years not really playing, Sure. Enough. and sure. so um, I was talking to him, and he's like, yeah, I used to fish back at my school in Nashville, and I was like, what school is it? And he's like, it's Trebekah. And I was like, no way. And he's like, what do you know about that? And I was like, I, I want to go there. Like, I'm trying to find a school right there. And he's like, oh, well, um, let me just see. Uh, let me just talk to the old coach. And I was like, okay, yeah, sure. He's never seen me play before. Uh, his name is Jason Hamrick. And I was like, well, you know, maybe we could get some video tonight. He's like, yeah, sure. We'll get some video of you tonight. And I think I had three or four hits that game. So it went good. He sent the video to the old coach. <clears throat> the old coach hit him back and was like, yeah, Dalton's great. We love him. And so the next day, day two, I've met this guy. This is the second day I've known him because <clears throat> I had just gotten there. Day two came in. He's like, hey, Dalton, uh, got news from the old coach. He said he loved you. Like, said you, said he loved you. He said you look great. You run good. You hit well. You throw well. I was like, sweet. Um, does he know the coach now? <laughs> and uh, he's like, he's like, yeah, he does. And I was like, okay, well, let's let's get in contact with him. And then so that was Ryan Schmalls. And so that coach spoke with Ryan Schmalls. Ryan Schmalls spoke to Jason Hamrick and was like, hey, tell Dalton to get his release from Bethune Cookman, or however that legally was able mm-hmm. to be done. And so I called Bethune Cookman because I was like, sweet, I'm about to go to school in Nashville. And so this is day two. Um, I called Bethune Cookman. They give me my release. And Schmalls was like, yeah, get some more video of Dalton tonight. And so played another three or four hit game. It was great. And then the next day, Schmalls called and called Jason Hamrick, and I got my release. And so I could talk to Coach Schmalls legally, talked to him, <clears throat> committed on the spot, never even heard, like never even been to Trevec or anything, but looked it up, heard about good stuff. And I knew Schmalls was a good guy from Hamrick. Really good guy. I know him a little bit. Yes, great guy. And uh, so that happened, and I committed, and then that third day – all of our coaches at the um, at in Casper, Wyoming, kind of got there was something some kind of drama happened. They got fired basically, and I have not seen Coach Hamrick since. Um, really, but he got me to that school where I met where I played three years of college baseball and had the best time of my life. Hmm. It was it was actually insane. He was like an angel, just walked in my life and then gone. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. So the Savannah Bananas, they've officially become a phenomenon coast-to-coast. So not only do they sell out their own ballpark in Savannah every night, but they sell out any ballpark they visit to. And I'm not going to do it 
any justice as a 47 year old man, but tell our <laughs> listeners, you know, just what it's like to wear that yellow uniform. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely, I'll, I'll tell you this from a player's aspect and point of view, playing for the bananas is by far the most fun I've ever had playing baseball. Um, they really focus on just having a good time and the atmosphere at Grayson stadium and even playing at a sold out uh, stadium in other cities, you know, it's, it's like nothing ever you've ever played before. It's like I, f- I feel like I play on a MLB team because every game, like, there's not a seat left, you know? And so, like, you literally can't fit any more people, and you're like, wow, all these people came to watch. And so the atmosphere is great, uh, which makes it really fun. And obviously when you're having fun, it's like a direct correlation. Like, you just play better. Like, when I played baseball in Wyoming that summer, I, I played so well because I was just having so much fun. Like, nothing, in summer ball, you know, you don't really care too much. I don't even know if I stretch before most games. I just went out there, maybe tossed 50 feet, and I was like, yeah, let's, let's play ball, sure. you know? And um, it, just, it just makes sense. That's how it is. And so putting that yellow uniform on, um, you know, like you're playing uh, for a purpose, like to show kids like you're having fun and to not take it so serious because so much of my life I played for coaches that is like, hey, if you don't play perfect – like you're done. You're going to sit out. Somebody else is going to come in. So you just play so tight and you don't perform as well. It's just, that's just how it works. That's how it's always worked for me. Like if you can perform under that, then Hey, good for you. But no, I feel like most people can't and playing for the bananas. There's no stress like that. You just play better. All right. For the uninitiated, let's review the nine rules of banana ball, which are fascinating. And for OG baseball fans are probably terrifying. Um, Number one, every inning counts. I'm just going to go one at a time and you sort of, Give me your little tidbit on each. Every inning counts. So the idea of this is the um, home team. I'm, I'm Home team? Away team? It would be the home team? Away team? Yeah, the away team can walk off every inning, basically. Uh, so whether it's the party animals or the bananas, you can walk off every inning. So, for example, say if the bananas are the... Uh, I'm sorry, the home team. Correct. Yeah, yeah. You didn't want you to correct you. Y'all got to correct me, man. Baseball's tough. We're letting you roll. I should just went with it. Uh, so the home team can walk off every inning, basically. So say if the party animals are up first, right? They score three runs in the first inning. Um, but then the bananas come up, and we score four the first inning, and we walk it off with that fourth run, then it's one to nothing. It's basically <clears> baseball <throat> match play. Pretty much. Golf baseball style. match play, yes. Mm. But if the bananas score two or don't score at all, you know, it's party animals one, banana zero. But for example, if the party animals don't score at all, scoreless inning, and the first pitch of the banana, first batter comes up, hits a bomb, it's over. End of the inning. Drop dead. Drop dead. Walk off every inning. Yep. You can walk off every inning. Rule number two is sort of self-explanatory, but a hard two-hour time limit. Yep. Yeah, we do not go past that. Um, The only time it will go past that is there's a showdown if we're tied uh, in the very last inning. And that's, do you know what the showdown is? We'll get to that. Okay. (laughs) Don't worry. It's on the list. Number three, no stepping out. I love this one. Yeah, that's that's one of my favorites too. Um, that was my probably my hardest one to adjust to because you don't immediately pitch comes out, you step out, fix your glove, your Evo shield, whatever it is. But as soon as you do that, that's an automatic strike. And so it just for one for time purposes, it saves so much time. I mean, some batters will in a in a seven pitch at bat waste thirty five seconds stepping out of the box to fix whatever they need to fix. That's the doing human rain delay. Yes. Exactly. So that's I actually love that rule. Rule number four, I'm not a fan of just because I love being a complete baseball player. Mm-hmm. No bunting allowed. No bunting allowed. I mean, if you, if you bunt, you get kicked out. Like, you're ejected. You can't play. It's an ejection. I love that. Ejection. It's an ejection. That. Yep. That's, okay. There that is, is no, is if you square around a bunt, hey, we'll see you. You can't, can't do it. Can't do it. No suicide squeezes. No suicide squeezes, man. Hit the ball. Yeah. 
<laughs> no speedy leadoff, guys. Dropping down a beautiful drag bunt. Nope. Still second. Okay. You do you. <laughs> uh, number five. Batters can steal first. Please explain this to me. Yep. So, um, for example, if I'm in the box and there's a pass ball, I can steal first on it. And wh- what I love so much about it is not only that, yeah, it's a free base, uh, even though most of us would probably rather hit anyways, you know. Um, it gets, if you need runners on, it gets you runners on. But also it holds the pitcher and the catcher accountable. The catcher can't be lazy. Pitcher can't be lazy. You know what I mean? Because so if you're going to spike one, catcher's got to be like on his toes and block it up or else it's an automatic single. Or whatever you want to call it, you know? Right. So yeah. it's basically, yeah, the catcher can't be a little lazy with nobody on base because he still can't let a ball get by. Exactly. It's basically it, a drop third strike at any time. Pretty much. And so I, I love that because, you know, a lot of times you see catchers back there getting lazy and then your defense gets lazy and, yeah. Did you get lazy, Ryan? Never. <laughs> of course not. <laughs> well, that's so why he's on a knee. How often does that happen, would you say? Like, on an OO count, do people just take off on a ball in the dirt? Uh, if it gets past the catcher, yeah. yeah. Really? I mean, dude, to be honest with you, I, I had so many of those happen, and I, really? I could not believe like it happened so much. So a lot of times, like the ball would get passed, and I'd sit there for a second, I'm like, oh, wait, it's past me, and then go. Yeah, you know, okay. and then, so, depending so, on, so how often do you get thrown out? I mean, is it a pretty high success rate on, I mean, on that ball in the dirt? N- no, dude. Like, I, don't, I don't think you hardly – maybe maybe thrown out 5% of the time. I mean, because the ball – the backstop is so far back. Or yeah, sometimes sure. it gets a good bounce, and then it's like you got a good – but you also, so for example, if I'm in the box and the ball goes past and I take one step out of the box to run, I got to run. If I, my foot goes out of the box, I got to go. That's I it. See. And so sometimes people get caught up with that. Yeah. It's like, oh, maybe I can go back, but yeah. you can't. Yeah. At that point, it's a pure reaction. Once you've been so there's your 5% while. that gets right. thrown out. Yeah. yeah. That makes sense. <laughs> okay. Number six, no walks allowed. This is going to need a little explanation as well. Yeah. So no walks allowed. Uh, basically, ball four, as soon as it crosses the plate, if Bill Leroy is catching, so we have this kind of system. Um, it's like a, it's a ball four sprint essentially. So um, which kind of like, there's no there's no like automatic walks, which is cool because as soon as you throw ball four, it could be a double or a triple. And so how that works is basically as soon as ball four crosses, the, the all, everybody in the infield and now has to touch the ball. So Bill will throw it to short, to second, to third, to first, to left, to rover, to right, however however the the process is. And so it's pretty much an automatic double, in a sense, if you sprint. Um, if it has an overthrow, it could be an in-the-park home run. And it's also just it's, it's playing catch, keeping everybody accountable, you know what I mean? And some things like that are just so overlooked, and you, you right. can't. Like, and so if, in you the can't runner, be that right fielder who doesn't touch the ball for six innings. No. So when, there's, when it's ball three, I'm like, hey, right fielder, this is ball three. Be ready to sprint all the way to second base, basically. And so there's a, there's a, there's a strategy we've done, and, and now we've gotten so good, to, good at it where – we pretty much, you know, we get them at second base. If you don't just haul butt out, like out of the box automatically, you might get out at second base, or you might have to hold up at first. I would have to see that one. I would look forward to seeing that, that one. That is interesting. Um, it's, it's fun, yeah. Number seven, the one-on-one showdown tiebreaker. You talked about it earlier. Yep, so the one-on-one tiebreaker is basically if it's three to three, um, and then and time limit is running out, or you played nine innings, you know? Because it's, it's either two hours, we'll get to nine innings. But, um, but yeah, so basically how it works is there's a pitcher, a hitter, a catcher, and one infielder. And so if I'm in the box, I'm facing a pitcher, and he has one infielder or outfielder. Somebody, with, somebody who's fast and has a good arm usually is who's back there. And so pitchers can either strike me out, and it's kind of home and away, get their chances as well. Um, but if the home, home team's out there first and say they strike him out, away team gets a chance. And the way that you win it is a home run, home or away team, whoever, whoever hits a home run first, it's an automatic win which that hasn't happened yet. Um, 
But then also, uh, so say, for example, if the home team does not score, away team's up there. Now I'm up to bat. I hit a ball to the outfield. The, so basically the guy who's in the field behind the, behind the pitcher cannot be in the outfield. He has to stand right behind the pitcher in the grass infield. And so when I hit it, he has to run all the way out there and get the ball. Hopefully I hit it far or it rolls far. He has to get it and throw me out at home. So he, the pitcher can, go, can be a cutoff or the guy's got to go an arm, he can throw it all the way, you know. Um, but I, I have to this run feels all like the way. It's like a game a couple of kids were playing in the backyard. A hundred percent. It's like, it's like do or die, which yeah. is, which is so it's, it, it's like exhilarating at that point. Cause if it's <laughs> like sure a pitcher showdown, it's like, K K K K. You're like, okay, hold on. You know? Yeah. Uh, so that's awesome. I love that mm-hmm. rule. Okay. Number eight. I don't know how much explanation it needs, <laughs> but maybe there's something more to it. No mound visits. No mound visits. Pitchers just got to suck it up and get them out. Yeah. Finish the inning. Easy. That's okay. It. It, it, uh, take, it takes too much time. Okay. You know, what I mean? you know what I mean? Well, with the two-hour limit, yeah. Sure. I mean, yeah. it makes sense. Sure. No, there's no time to waste in Banana Bowl. Yeah. Number nine, if you're a fan of baseball, <laughs> it's just got to be the coolest rule ever. Mm-hmm. If a fan catches a foul ball, it's an out. Yep, it's an out. This has got to be incredible to watch and just upping the quotient of, you know, adults bringing gloves to the game and <laughs> yes. probably getting booed from the crowd if you drop one. I mean, there's oh, got to yeah. be a hundred amazing stories that you've seen in person. Dude, it's unreal. I mean... So first off, the, the this whole idea like making baseball fun and banana ball, like it's it's so easy to get the dad and the son to come to a baseball game, right? How do you get the mom and the daughter to come and be involved and inclined to watch and keep people off their phones? Make it make it if they catch a foul ball, make it an out. So at the whole time everybody's like, Oh, I hope I get a foul ball, I hope I get a foul ball, you know, and it makes people like stay in tune with the game and what's going on, which is so cool and I love that. Um, but a lot of times like the bananas will hit a foul ball and people will catch it. And, and people will get booed. Like the first guy, I don't I think remember. about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I was going to say. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, the party was like, yeah. Do you want your glory? Do you want the home team to win? <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So, and some, I mean, now, like, the party animals have built such a fan base now. There's people wearing, like, party animal shirts, wow. and, like, we're selling those. And those people are trying to catch the ball, you know, because Shark is the announcer who'd be like, hey, here, here are the rules, and the rules do not catch a banana foul ball. Uh, but also, it's just fun to catch foul ball. So I get it too, you yeah. know. Um, but it just sucks if you're the one hitting it. And, um, but yeah, no, it's happened before. The first guy actually, I saw a kid make like a diving catch like backwards still on concrete one time we were in like uh montgomery or birmingham or something and it was for the band so i was like dude like you deserve every bit of that like you are out because that, that was incredible but uh but that's that's a really cool rule and First guy who ever caught the ball uh, for the bananas, a foul ball for that, like, they, we kicked him out. <laughs> we, like, we like got our people out there, got him and kicked him out of the stand. We ended up bringing him back. But I thought that was just so funny. Is there a sense of frustration when a fan catches your foul ball? I mean, I mean, yeah, because we as baseball players are trying to yeah. like, it's like, all right, foul ball. And we're like, oh, wait, I could get out right here. You know, you're like, because nobody wants to foul that out. That is a very yeah. helpless feeling. Oh, it, exactly. Man. When you foul a ball in the foul ter- and the first baseman catches it, you're like, dude, I'm the worst player that ever exists. Yeah. But even now, it's like, if I hit a foul ball, I got to hit it out of the stadium. (laughs) So, but yeah. Okay. The 2023 banana ball world tour has already been announced and it's going to give me some runway here. It's going to take a little while. I'm going to have to read a bunch of this. Yep. Uh, You start February 17th in West Palm beach. Yes. You end September 16th in Cooperstown. Yes. Home of the baseball hall of fame. But in between, in addition to everything you're doing in Savannah at the home park, Daytona Beach, Jacksonville, Sugarland, Montgomery, Scottsdale, Peoria, Charleston, Tampa, Kansas City, Las Vegas, Oklahoma City, Tulsa, here in Nashville, Birmingham, Indianapolis, Akron, Kannapolis, Durham, Rancho Cucamonga, San Jose, Fresno, Sacramento, at least the California trips are together, mm-hmm. Trenton, New York City on Staten Island, 
Hartford, Brockton, Portland, Des Moines, Milwaukee, and finally Syracuse. So you got the full home schedule. Yeah. That's your road show. It is seven straight months, murderous travel. How are you going to have the energy just to put on the show you guys do for all that time and all those games? I mean, we definitely haven't haven't done it yet to that caliber. <clears throat> um, I know doing like the six or seven uh, tour city tour we did in twenty twenty two. I was like, man, I hate that this is over already, you know. And and even like when you like we get to the game so early and we rehearse and we practice and get ready, and then the game is two hours long, you know. And after that, you're like, I mean, you know, you're used to playing baseball games for three hours, three and a half hours, and you finish the game, and you're like. Oh man, I wish wish we could have played a little bit longer, you know. And so, and I I think that correlated within every game because I was like, I remember thinking like, man, I wish we could do this like for a longer period of time, for a longer extended like months, and also like play more games, you know. And so we're getting to do that. And I know like at the end of every game, I'm like, I'm ready to play the next game. And so I I think like the atmosphere is like so unreal. It's like an adrenaline rush, and you're like you like kind of crave it, you know. I, I we haven't done the tour in like probably four or five months, and I'm like, all I think about every day is like, when can I go back? When can I? When are we gonna start? You know. And so I think that drives it a lot. And having like really good like staff and coaches and teammates, it's I mean it's the best time ever. Like I don't I don't think anybody out there was like, oh, I can't wait for this to be over. You know. So getting to do this for seven months, it's gonna be like unreal, and we're so excited to do that. Now, we were doing this off the air a little bit before we hit the record button, but, um, okay, 7 o'clock first pitch mm-hmm. at your home ballpark in Savannah. Yep. But tell me how that day goes, when you get to the ballpark, when you leave, and everything happening in between, especially the non-actual baseball stuff. Yeah, so most of our days, um, on, on game days, it starts off, you know, you wake up, eat breakfast, go to the gym. There's a place called the Zoo in Savannah. It's really sick. And then we'll come back to the field with, like, some lunch, and we'll hang out for a little bit. And then at that time... It's usually like myself, the shortstop, the third baseman, the catcher, and center fielder. We're usually like the first four or five um, at the at the field because we have a dance every game called the three two two that we that we do um, every game. And usually we're the ones rehearsing it first because it's it's usually pretty hard. And you're uh, arriving at the ballpark when? Uh, this is probably like twelve thirty. Okay. <laughs> um, for yeah. a seven o'clock first pitch. Yeah, gotcha. yeah, and this is—I mean, this is every day, and and also like there's some time where we can make some content and whatnot, which is always cool. We'll have cool ideas and bounce off each other. Uh, but yeah, I mean, we we give it a solid like thirty minutes of the of maybe even longer on game day to practice this three two two dance because at first they were pretty easy, and then we started getting on like sorority TikTok and doing their dances, and they were like so hard, you know. And uh, but that's <laughs> so we practice that for a while, and people would start coming in, and usually like. Uh, one thirty or two o'clock, we'll start getting some BP in. Uh, both teams will hit. We'll do like some extra work, and then that goes on for a couple hours. And then we have like some kind of video or something we'll film for like an intro or something. And then <clears throat> we'll have like the VIP come in. We'll have like five hundred people come in, and we'll sit there and talk with them for a while and like sign stuff, take pictures, and it's just cool for them because they get there so early, you know. Um, so they'll be like, Hey, VIP in 15 minutes and we'll get ready. Pretty much get all suited up and whatnot. And then do VIP, hang out with them for like 30 minutes, go over rehearsals one more time. Like if there's like any special like walk-ups that night or like we'll go over the dance again and they'll get to see that too, like a sneak peek. Um, and then after that, it'll be probably five o'clock, which is like two or maybe five thirty, which is like an hour and a half before game time, first pitch. <clears throat> and We'll go out. We'll go out to the courtyard, and there's a mile and a half long of people. <laughs> you know, it's, there's twenty five hundred, three thousand people out there just sitting there waiting to get in the game. They've been there for two hours, just like tailgating, basically. It looks like. Um, so we'll run out there and we'll run through the whole crowd, tell everybody, "Hey, dap everybody up," and I give them high fives. Come back to the front, and we'll do like a "Hey, baby" and like an introduction there. 
celebrate again, get into, go to the stadium. And then, uh, and then at that point, like everybody just rushes in because it's all general admission. There's like no seat. It's just like, you got to, you got to get And so people just run in there to sprint. And so trying to get the best seats. And then, uh, we'll have a little bit of time to do like, uh, like to warm up out on the field and whatnot. Um, a lot of people like a lot of people working like at the banana bus taking some more photos, like greeting people. We'll have people at the fan wall where all the fans will come and sign the wall. It says like it says go bananas out there and there's thousands of signatures out there now. But people working that stuff. So there's always something going on and um and yeah, and then it's just kinda like leading up to the first pitch and the last like thirty minutes are pretty much like on our own, like chill out for a little while, listen to, listen to music or do some more stretching in or go see a trainer, throw a little more if you need to. Uh, but yeah, that's usually how it goes. And we play till nine. And once we finish the game, we go back out to the courtyard and we'll be there for like two hours sometimes, just still taking pictures and signing autographs. So it's cool. Like we get to like, because people come from everywhere and devote a lot of time and travel and spend a lot of money to, to stay in Savannah. Staying in Savannah, hotels are just expensive anyways, you know, because there's not, I feel like there's not as much as there would be like in Nashville or something. So that's already hard. And then tickets are hard. And if you don't, if you can't buy them for 20 bucks, what they cost, you have to buy them from a resale and you know, so a lot of people spend a lot of money sometimes, and so we want to make the experience the best possible. So we want to greet them when they come in, you know, like say, hey, welcome to the stadium, which is essentially what we do, dapping up everybody, saying, hey, they watch, they watch the game, we put on the show, and then when they're leaving, we're out there saying bye to them, you know, because I think that's just important. Jesse's big on that, like greeting people, then watching the, watching the game, watching the show, and then we say thank you for coming, and everybody leaving, just trying to make the best possible fan experience, you know, which is cool for us too, because we love that also. Of course. Now, this wouldn't be a legit interview unless I asked you at least one question kind of framed like this. But you obviously have an adoring fan base. Mm-hmm. You know, Bananas Gear has found parents and kids alike coast to coast. We see it in our place. We yeah. had a, a girl a week or two ago, uh, a Bananas uh, uniform was her Halloween costume. And she wore it while she was up here in the cages. Your biggest fan is what she Yes. <laughs> really? Big fan. Yes. Um, yes. Could have been a stalker, but we'll see. Um, <laughs> but be honest with me. How often do you hear from naysayers? How often, whether it's face-to-face, in the stands, through social media feeds, do you have some curmudgeon saying, that's not baseball, this is Bush League. If I want to be entertained, I'll go to the circus. Yeah. Is, that, is that a part of this at all, your experience? Um, I mean, just through social media, because a lot of my time I spend on social media trying to like create content as well. And, and I feel like you're always going to have that, <clears throat> that like, uh, what's, what would I, okay, what'd you call them, like a like a outspoken minority, you know, um, people that just kind of like voice their opinion, which is totally cool. Like you're supposed to, that's what you, that's what you do, whether what you say or not, it's up to you. But, um, I think for one, it's really important to always look at like the plus side of things. Like say bananas posted a video and it has, I think one of our bigger TikTok has like 88 million views. Okay. You comment there, there might be a hundred negative comments and you're like, okay, there's also 700. No, there's also probably 7 million likes. It's like, does that, does that hundred really matter? But at the same time, uh, we also, I think, I think we do a really good job of handling it. And so if there ever is something, there's always, we're always just like, Hey, yo, come to a game, see what it's like. And a lot of people, they end up coming to the games and they're like, Hey, you know, I really wasn't a believer in this. Um, but getting to see this and like they bring their kids because a lot of it's like a lot of it really is like an older generation like the baseball purists and whatnot and um to be honest with you like I mean I think it's a no-brainer you have maybe 4,000 people showing up to an athletics game you know same with the Rays stadium the Rays they close like the top oops sorry about that sorry microphone they close the the whole top portion of Tropicana Field and it's not because like 
I mean, it's because people don't go to the games yeah. as much. And they're only half full when the Cubs or the Red Sox or the Yankees are in town. hundred percent. Or people are leaving early. And, uh, and I, I don't know. I think we just do a, such a good job of keeping people. Obviously we've sold 170 games straight in Savannah, sold them out completely. And, Granted, it's only like 4,500 people. That's still like the demand, the ticket list to get in is so high. Um, but there's a reason for it. Like we're Savannah's not a big place. No, it's not. And we're so we're making, we're, I think we're just making the game fun and people are wanting to come and there's a reason they're coming. And so we always just like encourage people, hey, you know, if you're not a big fan, just come check it out or maybe we'll give you a ticket to the game. You know, it, it is what it is. And at least give it a chance because I feel like you don't really know what it's like unless you get to experience it. You know, I, I, I really truthfully can't even like expe- explain what a, banana ball game is like or like the bananas atmosphere is i'm just like hey you gotta come like i can say one thing but like it's gonna like exceed your expectations by far and so i think just keeping in mind that you know like the negative comments are going to come no matter what that's just you know as as bananas grow it's just going to happen the more people we reach um the more like one-sided people you're going to get and as far as like the the older generations um I think I think with that, it's just like how do you even approach trying to like change somebody's mind? And I think really it's just like continue to do your own thing. And like if there's something that I do not like, you know, and I'm like I hate this completely. This is not right. But then all my one of my friends starts liking it, and then another friend starts liking it, and then another friend starts liking it. Then our whole friend group's like, it, and I'm the only one that doesn't. I'm like, all right, I'm gonna give this a shot, you know. And then my mind probably will be changed, you know. And so I think it just good things take time like that. And uh, I think I think. You know, you can't please everybody always, but I think we're definitely making an impact and changing a lot of opinions on that. Okay, last serious question for you. Uh, you've got two budding careers. Mm-hmm. I'm, you're 20-something, a couple years out of school. Um, you're a baseball player and you're a musician. But if you had to pick a lane, the ultimate dream for you, I mean, is it playing baseball in Yankee Stadium or is it singing at Radio City Music Hall? Is it Wrigley Field or is it the United Center? Is it Dodger <laughs> Stadium or the Hollywood Bowl? You can only <laughs> pick one. I can only pick one. Um, Tough question. Yeah, right on the spot. <laughs> yeah, I mean, to be honest with you, I'm... Uh, I mean, I'm yes, going to... be I'm honest a, with me. That's I'm going to do... I'm gonna do these. I'm gonna do music and baseball as long as I can, regardless. <clears throat> and whichever one works out, I'll be happy with either one. I, th- I think that we will play at Yankee Stadium, and I think that one day I will play Madison Square Garden. Um, but it's just, it's just putting your head down and just keeping going, you know, and enjoying what you love. Because I wouldn't change a thing. Like I get to, you know, I don't play for the Atlanta Braves, but I, I'm living out my dream like every day. Like this is the best thing I could have ask for. You know, I get to express myself in music and in sports and just be happy and surrounded by people that are good to me. And that's really all I can ask for. And I think just continuing to stay in that and keep going, like, you know, opportunities are endless. I think that's perfect perspective. That was great. Yeah, love it. Really great. (laughs) Thanks, guys. (laughs) All right, uh, let's play nine innings here. Uh, We'll do this game with all of our guests. Nine questions. They're always the same. Answers are usually very different, of course. Uh, Number one, is this, ju- is this just me? This is just you. Okay, okay. Just you. Is it right? Rapid I'm, I'm fire? Not or was it? I don't, I'm not interested <laughs> in these two guys. I'm interested in you. <laughs> okay. um, favorite team as a kid? Uh, Atlanta Braves. Popular answer in these parts. Favorite player as a kid? Chipper Jones. Chipper Jones. Went to high school with him for a while. Really? Bowles High School, yep. Jacksonville, oh, Florida. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, favorite baseball movie? Sandlot. Good answer. Mine as well. <laughs> you got to think a little bit. Okay. Your favorite sound at the ballpark? Favorite sound at the ballpark? Mm-hmm. Uh, at the Bananas game, it's when Jesse counts down and everybody yells, play ball. That's the coolest thing ever. There's, sometimes, there, sometimes there's 10,000 people saying play ball at the same time, and it is nuts. I got experience at that. that. That sounds pretty great. That is my yeah. favorite part by far. Really okay. Cool. Best smell at the ballpark. Best smell at the ballpark? 
Does a home run have a smell by chance, do you think? If you hit it just right and you get that wooden bat smell, <laughs> sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> sure, bat that smell. little smoky thing. <laughs> sure. No, I would say, uh, I'd probably say the food after the game. That's good because I'm always so hungry and we're like, okay. yeah, whatever we got, doesn't matter. It's usually good. A lot of times it's pizza, but that pizza is fire. Nice. <laughs> okay, this is especially pertinent for you being a musician and all, but okay, there's a ball game tonight. You're the starting second baseman hitting leadoff. Mm-hmm. What's your walk-up song? Uh, I'm probably going to use one of my songs, to be honest. I bet you are. A little self-plug. I bet you are. New generation, self-obsessed. Anyway. Um, tell me what about What would a, you use? What would I use? Yeah. Oh, I don't know. Something from my generation, like... Uh, that's, that's a generational answer right there. Yeah. 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 I don't know. Bye Bye Birdie or something like that. Sure. Tell me about a game, any game. Uh-huh. It doesn't matter if it was a bananas game or if it was a literally game. Tell me about a game when you were the hero. Uh, when I was the hero, I think in Wyoming one game, one game we're playing at our field. I can't remember who we're playing. Probably like, uh, probably like the team from uh, Minot, North Dakota. I might have butchered the word Minot, but oh, that's um, right. Is it okay? Uh, I feel like I've been there enough that I should know that. But um, I, I hit for the cycle that game, and it was really cool. Uh, but I hit it in order. It was a single, double, triple home run. Nice. And Natural cycle. My, yeah. My, my last at bat, I was I was trying my absolute hardest hit home run. And and the coach, was so funny because the coach was just so mad at the umpire um, calling balls and strikes against me. And, you know, he was just like pouting. He had his arms crossed and arms on his hips. And uh, he was like, I don't know. I don't know what he's doing, but he's like, so convinced to like try to get me out, you know, and this pitcher just hung a curveball and I, I probably hit it farther than any ball I've ever hit in my life. And he was just so mad about it, but I thought that was the best thing ever. It was, and then he like congratulated me after and he was like, dude, I, he's like, I just wanted to hit you your last at bat, you know? <laughs> and I was like, you probably should have. <laughs> okay. We still lost coin. that game by the way though. Oh, my <laughs> Cycle and loss. Really? Yeah, we lost. Okay. Other side of the coin. Tell me about a game when you were the goat, not the greatest of all time. I mean the goat, you mucked it up. The goat. Um, I mean, do where I start? I probably have a hundred games like that. <laughs> Tell me one that you still lose sleep over. I, mean, I got one from Little League All Stars when I was ten years old. Oh my gosh, dude. Um, let me think here. Probably. I mean, it would definitely have to be like a Little League game. Uh, I remember one inning. I think I made four errors at shortstop. I mean, it was back to back to back. And the ball will find you. Know that feeling, dude. It does. I just like. I was just like, please don't hit the ball to me. Next guy hit to me. Bad hop. <clears throat> and the whole time I'm just like looking at my dad. Like how how mad is he right now? <laughs> I get another one. Another one. And uh, oh, actually, I have, I have one more. We were playing. When I was playing at Trevecca. We were playing in um, in like Cedarville or something like that. And I grounded that weekend. I ground out to third base nine times in a row. And I told I told Coach Stan, I said, if I ground out one more time, sit me the rest of the weekend. I don't want to play anymore. And he was like, he's like, dude, try to hit a home run. Just try to. And I was like, I'm gonna swing directly up if I can. And sure enough, my my next at bat, I hit like a um like a what's the word? Like a top spin. like a top yeah. spin ball. Yeah, sure. And it just went barely over third base. Hey, you, but uh <laughs> but like he it just like barely went over his glove, but like it was hundred percent gonna be a, a ground ball again. I have no clue why that happened, but I was I was like, I do not deserve to play. Like please take me out. <laughs> <laughs> okay, last one here is the ninth inning. If it weren't for the game of baseball, dot dot dot, fill yep. in the blank for me. Um if it weren't for the game of baseball, uh to be honest, I don't know what I would do. I I mean I I went to school, I got a bachelor's degree, a master's degree, and all that good stuff, <clears throat> but I've, I've never learned, I haven't, I haven't learned half of what I learned playing baseball, you know? Um, learning how to, like, work with people, talk with people, how to, how to lead people, how to follow, um, how to be a good teammate, which I think is, like, the most important life skill. 
you can even do. Uh, I like. I mean, I've just been on so many teams where there was kids that didn't play a whole lot, and they were still like the, our best friends and best teammates. And it wasn't until like one season where I wasn't playing a whole lot, and I was like just so mad at not playing, which I'm sure we can all relate to that. Yeah. And um, but I remember I would just be hanging out with the same same kids. Like I wasn't just wasn't playing, wasn't I? Just wasn't in the roster. And and every day, <clears throat> I like kind of got more humbled and humbled and humbled because I was seeing like no matter what they had they had the best time ever and they were just enjoying the game, and I I sit there and ask them I'm like dude how are you how are you guys enjoying this right now like, you guys haven't played in in weeks and I, I've been there before but I I had never like started thinking about it this way I was just mad 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 um, or just trying to like not show my emotion but later on just be mad at myself and just be like go work out and go hit 500 baseballs for no reason and um, thinking like that was good for me but. Um, that's when I really learned how to be a good teammate. So I was like, I was like, these guys are better teammates than I am, and they're not even playing. Like, how do you, how do you even do that? And so, it took time, but under, like realizing, like, hey, like, it's more than a game. You know, it's, it doesn't define us whether we're playing or not, or we're successful or not. It's it's more about like being a teammate and being dependable and and trustworthy. And I, I think that those are like attributes that I've learned playing baseball that I would have never learned like in the real world without the sport. Um, because I just feel like those are hard to learn solo on your own, you know. And so if it wasn't for baseball, like that team sport, I don't think I'd be the half person I am today. Um, but that's that's like my biggest impact from the game for sure. Okay, before we exit stage left, uh, tell our listeners where they can find you on social media, how they can find your music. Feel free to give yourself a nice little plug here. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so you can find me on social media at Dalton Malden 5, D-A-L-T-O-N-M-A-U-L-D-I-N, the number five. Um, I'm on Instagram, I'm on YouTube, I'm on TikTok. And the latest single is? <laughs> latest single is called Frozen. Um, working on a five to seven song EP right now, which is super sick. Going nice. to go work on it today, actually, Very after nice. this podcast. Um, but that's going to come out uh, around the time that uh, we start our banana ball season again uh, in the new year. But really excited for that. You can listen to any of my music. I have like 17 songs out right now on Spotify, Apple, Google Play, YouTube, Deezer, Title, whatever you listen to, it's it's on there. I promise you. Um, but yeah, that's that's what it would be. Dalton, this was a real pleasure. Thanks yeah. so much for coming in. Okay. Thanks for having me. Y'all. Thanks, Best yeah, of luck this you, season. Sure. Yeah, too. Good luck. Thank you. Okay, it's time for three up and three down. I'm going to ask three questions. Our esteemed panel does not know what's coming, so they're going to have to answer on the fly. Esteemed panel, Zach. Wow. Episode one, you're already esteemed. <laughs> Question number one. What's the best Major League Baseball game that you have attended in person? Zach, start with you. Oof. I know you're a Royals fan, so it's a short list, but give me what you yeah. got. Um, I'll have to tandem this because I think the best baseball game I've ever been to, uh, I was a kid. My dad took me out of school for – so he, his work had season tickets. Uh, we went to every opening day. And every time the Yankees, we'd at least go to one Yankees game when they were in town. The Yankees are big in my in my family as well. So we went to the first game, and I I want to say I want to say it was Roger Clemens pitched that game. I don't really remember who pitched that first game, but I was like, oh okay, that's cool. And then he pulls me out of school the next day and says, uh, yeah, Randy Johnson's pitching this game. The unit. And I was like, nice. Okay, he, that's awesome. He was pretty good. He was, he was all right. Yeah. So I think seeing him play, and obviously every anytime I got to see Derek Jeter play, just that's my all-time favorite player. That is 
probably hands down the the best time I think I've had at a baseball game. But it's hard not to include uh, seeing someone's three thousandth hit when uh, I saw Albert Pools at the in Seattle at a Mariners game. Very nice. Um, that is cool. Yeah, that was that was probably one of the coolest moments. I don't think it really hit me in that moment. Um, but I, I had a video of it and everything. I'll still go back and watch it just because cool. it's a, it's something you, you don't see hardly ever, and especially in person. And um, uh, yeah, that's that that was really special to see live. That is that's cool. RG, what about you? Um, well, being an Angels fan again. <laughs> now the short the list. list is very short. And in two thousand two, I was a very young, young person, so uh, <laughs> I didn't get. I have I don't have much angels wise, but probably going to I don't know what year this was, but Yankees Red Sox at old Yankee Stadium. And I know I'm gonna get some backlash for this, but at the time, Alex Rodriguez was my favorite player. Love at it. the time he was. Um I had his Nike shocks. And my dad and I I was there on a school trip. And we stayed, we stayed an extra day so that we could go to this game. And we were down low, and we were on the first base side. Is, was it first base side that the Yankees? I, so. I think yeah. so, right? Yep. They're on the first base side. Yeah, they're backwards. Um, and we were along the first baseline, and we saw A-Rod and Derek Jeter just playing some catch right there. and Pretending to be friends. Pretend, yeah. Pretend, <laughs> you were at Yankee Stadium? At Yankee Stadium. Okay. Yeah, at old Yankee Stadium. And I just remember that being such a cool trip. I don't. I. I honestly couldn't really tell you how the game went. I know that it was a pretty good game, but just being there was really awesome. Just seeing, seeing all the history and being able to walk through and seeing the Wall of Fame and especially at old Yankee Stadium. It, it was. Special. It was. It was pretty special. And again, I couldn't tell you what happened in the game, but it was really cool. That's awesome. Mine, I can tell you exactly what happened in the game. It's 2002. I'm living in Chicago. Oh, good year. Not a White Sox story because uh, I'm similarly tortured just like you guys. Yeah. But uh, one of my best friends who ended up being in my wedding down the road years later, uh, Boston guy, Red Sox guy through and through, um, my buddy Jim and I made the trip from Chicago to Boston specifically for Red Sox Yankees. Again, 2002. This is before the breakthrough for the Red Sox. So this is peak Yankees, mm-hmm. Red Sox, angst. Mm-hmm. We got amazing seats, not too far from Pesky's pole. That's another story how we even got the seats. Pedro Martinez against David Wells on Saturday, April 15th or something in Boston. Beautiful, perfect 60-degree day or something like that. And the Yankees are winning, I believe, 5-4 to four in the bottom of the eighth. They bring Mariano Rivera out mm-hmm. for a two-inning save. Mm-hmm. And with two outs in the eighth, Shea Hillenbrand hits a two-run homer over the monster to take the 6-5 to five lead. Ugeth Urbina comes in to shut it down for the save in the ninth. And I remember hanging out on Lansdowne Street after the game, popping in the bars, cask and flag and all that stuff. And we're just making small talk with people, saying, yeah, we're from Chicago, just came in for the game today. And again, this is before the Red Sox had busted through. They all said, you just saw the best game at Fenway Park in the last decade. Mm. It's wow. pretty amazing. That's cool. Pretty much. Yeah. Now, yeah. Pedro did not pitch great. David yeah. Wells did not pitch great. Yeah. But just the buildup and let alone the crescendo at the Absolutely. end. Absolutely. It's pretty yeah. amazing. That's yeah. cool. All right. Like question that. number two. Mm. Zach, start with you. What is the story behind your preferred jersey number, which I believe is number 12? That's a good question. Um, That's why I asked it. 
So obviously, I'm a big Derek Jeter fan. Uh, it's on the wall out here. Mm-hmm. And uh, so two, number two, I, I wore two every just every game, every team I played for up until um, it was actually I just joined a uh, I joined a soccer team when I was young. Two was already taken. So basically, they were just like, eh, throw one. I was like, well, throw the one up in there. We'll, we'll make it 12, and we'll roll with that. And then, uh, I don't know. I think it just kind of stuck with me. And um, basically. It's not a super popular number, so probably every team you're on, you, you got yeah, no problem. Yeah, I, I actually got very lucky throughout my baseball career, I will say, that besides like maybe a couple summer summer team games or – Obviously, college summer ball, you really didn't get a choice. But uh, as far as high school went and my travel teams before then, um, there was two teams that I did not get the number two. So I was like, all right, screw it. I'm, I'm going to stick with 12. That's going to be my number. And very lucky, my freshman year of, of high school, I uh, was fortunate enough to play JV and varsity. And so obviously, I had the last pick of the of the jerseys. And I was like, they were like feeding me numbers, like, oh, 15's open, so-and-so's open. I was like, what about 12? Like, yep, there it goes. I was like, Game perfect. On. And uh, then I remember I remember so vividly, uh, I was at a tournament in travel ball my senior year, after my senior year going into college, and uh, our ops guy for Memphis – and I already knew that the the guy who wore number twelve was leaving, and I think I was one of the first guys that committed. So I I had somewhat of a first choice at pick, and like within within seconds of him texting, I think I got done from the game, saw the message that said twelve, got to be twelve. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I was just very fortunate to have have that number, and throughout most of my pretty much my whole baseball playing career. Very nice, cool, Ryan. I think when we had our D-Bat Nashville jerseys made, you were thirty four. Seven? Seven. I was close. Yeah. I yeah. was close. <laughs> close. Anyway. Um, story behind seven, please. I don't I, I don't have much of a story. Nothing like Zach's. Um, I was 11. My favorite number is still 11. Um, so I wore 11 all the way up until high school, probably. When I made varsity my sophomore year or whatever, 11 was taken. I wore seven. Uh, I did pretty good that year wearing seven. And... I've worn seven ever since. It's I don't Easy have. Enough. I just played well with the number seven. Yeah, you know was, how baseball is a superstitious. So it is a superstitious. Of, sure. Yeah. Thing. Yeah, and I just, I don't. I didn't play bad in eleven, but I've had a good season in seven, and I just stuck with it. So. I don't have I a great story either. I was sort of all over the place as a kid. You'll appreciate this. Big George Brett fan. Love it. So I wore five pretty much exclusively through Little League. As I got a little older, like middle school age, I became obsessed with Ken Griffey Jr. and wore 24 a lot. You know, 24 wasn't an easy number to find. I remember one year in particular, middle school, um, I needed a size medium. 24 was in a small. I opted for the 24. It was more important than the good fitting jersey. So a little tight, but I looked sharp. Um, but then by the time I was in high school, um, there wasn't, I had transferred high schools. Um, there wasn't a great number available. I wore 20. I got stuck with 20 for a while. Just didn't have a lot of personality. Um, but there was a kid that I grew up playing ball with named Roger Phelps, who was a year older than me. Got kicked off the team for reasons I do not recall. He was a senior. I was a junior. He wore 10. I just thought 10 was a better number than 20. 
I asked for a switch. I wore number 10. And that just sort of became part of the personality. I, of course, wore it in high school and every team I was on beyond that. And uh, to this day, I tell people if I was ever going to be in a pickup game or something, I'm not playing unless I can wear number 10. It's, it's oh, become part of me. I, I honestly, I don't know how my, don't know how I would have functioned not wearing number 12. Like it's that superstitious sure. to me. Even in um, summer ball, I, I'm very superstitious to where I need, I need an even number. And I wore number seven um, my second year in summer ball in college. It, it, it messed with me mentally, to be honest. I was like, <laughs> this is such a weird number. No offense. But uh, no offense, take for, for me. I've <laughs> never, just a weirdo. I, for me, I've, I don't think I ever wore an odd number since T ball, and it just it, like obviously it didn't, it wasn't a huge factor. I'm being a little, little dramatic, but uh, no, it was seriously, it was like this is, feels very weird, like just to have this on me. Okay, fair enough. Very fortunate to wear number 12. Fair enough. Question number three this is a little bit self serving because we sell them right out there in the pro shop, and they're at most ballparks in America. Favorite flavor of Dippin' Dots? <laughs> Ooh, Ooh lots so of choices many. here. Lots so of choices. many, and I've had so just about all. Of I'll them do in the that, short in answer, that. and I'll get out of your way. Yep. It's a toss-up between the cookies and cream and the cookie dough, but gun to my head, I'll go cookie dough. Pretty okay. legit. I feel. Well, you I, know, so yeah, I yeah. Go t- so you take this one. Recently, and we didn't have rainbow in that cooler for a while, but the kids always asked about rainbow. They love the rainbow. I. I tried them last week. I do not understand them. What? I do not get the rainbow. I think they're great. How? I don't know. I don't. I do not get them at all. I think they're too fruity. They're too like. like, I don't know. Puts a weird taste in your mouth. It's sherbet, right? Rough. You're not a big sherbet. I didn't ask the question for you to take a dump on the rainbow. I wanted to tell me which one you enjoy. This is how I am. Uh, Cookies and cream. Go. Good answer. Well. I will say the when I first I was like I don't I have never really had dipping dots a lot until me neither me neither. <laughs> until I got here and uh, I think uh, I, when I first started it was the banana split oh, I think the God, banana split was uh, I don't know what it is because <laughs> I I answer. don't eat I don't eat bananas like I, I that's can't, an even more disappointing I, but that banana split so but I I I, I kind of ate myself out of that. Okay. And now I'm a huge rainbow guy. Hmm. Got okay. got to go for hey, rainbow. I'm not judging it, you, it, but it, I am judging you. Yeah, it's like it. that kind of thing. You know. Okay, it's time for our weekly Zach attack. Let's do it. Zach, take it away. What's on your mind? What's grinding your gears this well, week? Well, you know, what isn't grinding. His yeah, gears? <laughs> uh, I was actually I was actually planning on starting this first episode off on a positive note. Look at you. Um, a positive but, Zach attack. But somebody pissed not me. until I saw what I saw yesterday. On social media, I'm actually going to first start off by saying I don't know why the Mariners manager Scott's uh, service didn't win Manager of the Year. That, I'm just going to throw that out A there. But odd, I agree. That is not that is not my Zach attack for this week. He probably uh, would have got my vote. Yeah. yeah, that also makes me very nervous about the MVP voting now. But it's whatever. Oh, uh, we'll get to that one. Day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll get to that at some point. But <laughs> my first Zach attack is going to be this new Royal Stadium that they. Uh, put out renderings for. I did yesterday. not see this. I know this you, gets very I close. You haven't seen. You haven't seen no, the renderings. I have not. Either. We are it, it's, not it's as ugly. in tune with Royals Twitter as you are. So yeah, I try to stay here, away here's from the it, deal. Actually. I understand what they want to do with 
the stadium and the new direction with the Royals having a new manager, GM. I get it. Still freshly new ownership. Um, and they, they want to compete with other markets or other stadiums that are getting redone. And, and I mean, Kaufman's been around for a long time. Are they going to take it out of a parking are, lot in the middle of nowhere? They are going to take it out of the parking lot. And they want to they want to put it downtown. I think just reading their press release, um, obviously they said it's just kind of like the Titans here. It's uh, it costs about the same to to renovate. Why renovate so, when you so, can build new? It, it, exactly. So I get that in an aspect, but ripping that that stadium from where it's at, it's just it, it, it's, be it's a, a beautiful it's a beautiful stadium. It is. It's it is. unlike. All the other stadiums. I that was you just see. there this summer. It's great. It's it, my first visit. I really enjoyed the, it. The man. renovations they did for the All Star Game back. Yeah, I don't remember the year it was, but was that fourteen? That that that's Something what like I was that, thinking. Whatever. The fountain's a great touchdown. Oh. It's a great the signature. The it's great. the the crown vision, the massive jumbotron in the middle. They don't have that in in these renderings. Uh, they just they have a little plenty s- of good seats available. I love that. I, I, the only thing I, I will say, cheap tickets. <laughs> yeah. So hey, I, I, have a, I have a couple points on this. One, I have a problem with the stadium, the way it looks. It, it looks very similar to Kaufman, the kind of same layout. They don't have fountains on both sides of the outfields Brutal. like they do now. Got it. It's just, it, no, they have fountains. It's just a little section in right center. It's fine. They took, it looks like they took the top. Of the crown on the score on the jumbotron out in center field, they put the top of it and just set it down by the right field foul pole. Okay. So there's no there's no crown vision. Interesting. No massive jumbotron out in center field that is iconic to iconic. that stadium. Crown vision is great. It, iconic. It, it's iconic. And another thing, all they have to do, and I, I don't know the specifics of it, if the legality, the legal stuff, the permits. All they have to do, there's so much parking around. For those of you who don't know, Arrowhead and where the Chiefs play in Kaufman are back to back. Yeah, they're, they're, in the same, the space. They're, they're in the same parking spot. There's right. so much parking space. If you've ever been to Atlanta, the Battery, or St. Louis with the Cardinal Nation that's out there right next to Bush Stadium, mm-hmm. if you throw one of those down there out there, you'll get your. You'll get that revenue. I'm kind of with you. Why take the ballpark to the action when you could so easily just build more action by the ballpark? One, you put it downtown. Parking's Brutal. crazy. Traffic, from what I heard, from just kind of what I was looking at in the comments, traffic would be pretty uh, pretty crazy. You're still paying. A, I mean, it. it, it I, I'm sure you can attest to this. It was probably pretty expensive to park at Arrowhead. I got dropped off, or, fortunately, oh, but I, right, I'm guessing yeah. it is. <laughs> It, it, it's usually pretty good, especially for Chiefs games, but Royals games, I think it's still decent mm-hmm. um, as far as parking fees go. But it wouldn't surprise man. me if parking for a Chiefs game is a hundred bucks. Again, I get it. it. You, I get it. Moving it to downtown, it'll it'll attract business and it'll pay for itself in a sense. But well, team still has to be good. That's another thing. <laughs> that's another thing. It's like with the Titans; they want a new stadium. I get they just built a soccer stadium. They're doing a bunch of renovations to a bunch of different stuff. Instead of getting a, but the Titans instead of getting a baseball team here, yeah. That, that's another, another topic that, that's for another, another show. Another Don't topic, worry. We so will get there. I yeah. promise. It's episode uh, one. But they they have a competitive team. As much as I don't want like to say it because I'm a Chiefs fan, they have a competitive team, and they can th- this place would be a great for a Super Bowl. They can do that. But the Royals, man, you you got to yeah. be competitive. Yeah. You, you, 
Right. To, especially it. to have that that fan like the fan base is going to be there. Kansas City has some of the great greatest sports fans. I think Kansas that, City overall is just an underrated town in America. Yeah. I really like it. I've yeah. been a couple times. It's got a good barbecue too. Very good barbecue. Yes. Very good barbecue. The new fountain's going to be sponsored by Oklahoma Joe's. Yeah. Can't wait. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but let's say if these are the actual renderings, um, I mean, I'm sure it's going to be state of the art, top notch, amazing. But just the feel of it's got a good feel of Kaufman, of old Kaufman. But man, you got to have the crown vision. The house that Vinny Pasquantino built. Your t- Probably. Yeah. I mean, you're just- Bobby, I'll take Bobby Wood. Bobby Wood. I'll take Bobby Wood too. He's fun. But uh but yeah, that's my that's my Zach attack for the day. I wasn't too happy when I saw that. Um but again, we'll see we'll see what happens. All right, Ryan, I don't know if we ever officially settled on a name for your segment. I think Ryan's crying was thrown around, one or two others, but floor is yours by all means. Your time. Your dance floor. Uh my Ryan's crying of the week is Zach for taking up all of my time for my <laughs> segment. Um no, I'm just kidding. My bad. Kind of not really. Um, yeah, you got two minutes. My crying Ryan, and this is hopefully we can sum this up because I know it's going to fire you two up. But and it, I wasn't it's for the same thing as I'm that. Ready. I was not going to do it until I saw this video that we were talking about off air. Lay it on us. Robot umpire. Yes, bring them. Bring them out. Do I? I will never be a believer in them. Never. It, I, can't I wish wait. I need bring them I, out. I need you guys today. to see this video. It's embarrassing that this umpire had to call the pitch a strike as the catcher is diving across the zone to catch the ball. That sounds like a catcher problem, not it's, a strike yeah. zone. No, problem. that's no. I wouldn't say it's a catcher problem. Or a pitcher missing a spot, but he really didn't miss the. He didn't miss the zone. So why should he get penalized for the catcher setting up for him just missing? Because a spot? let's think about the beauty of the game of baseball. What is better than a catcher lining up on the black and a pitch getting spotted on the black? If I have to reach across, there's no point of being a catcher if you can't present it to the umpire. You're taking away from a key part of... You still have to... It ain't like they're going to put it in high school and they may put it in college, but... They're absolutely uh, going to put it in but college. But you still have to develop that <laughs> skill as a kid because you're not gonna you're not going to have that until you yeah. get to... I high level of baseball. To, all I have to do is learn how to catch the ball behind the plate. No, that's all. I, yes, Here's, it's all. I'll if have you're a to kid do. growing up, you have to you have to learn to receive the ball because the for umpire's what, gonna. For what reason? What's the point of learning it if you do plan to go to? The I mean, MLB if you want to help and, your pitcher out, and but there's I get no high, helping the pitcher. It doesn't. It doesn't make a difference. If I do a great job at turning a low pitch into a strike it's still going to be a ball regardless of how good the presentation was. John, I don't understand how you're so on board with this so when you were a catcher. Does this not irritate you? It doesn't. How? I'll tell you why. As a lifelong suffering card-carrying White Sox fan, a couple years ago, they were celebrated across the league when they managed to sign Yasmani Grandal as a free agent. Mm-hmm. He's been largely a bust and a waste of money. This past season, he was borderline unplayable. Well, yeah. And one of the reasons, a huge reason why they got him was his ability to steal the occasional strike and the way he presented pitches in the zone. And there's metrics on it that I don't quite understand. So I understand the skill, 
but I hate the fact that's such a big skill of that position. So if you eliminate that being so integral to playing catcher and we just go back to can the dude hit yep. and can we throw guys out of yep. second base those are the skills yep. i appreciate in a catcher i'd rather have not the bat. being super fast lightning quick and being able to turn a ball into a strike how many strikes is he actually stealing a game do you think there are catchers that steal a lot of strikes there are. in a game there are a yeah. lot but of strikes a guy like trevino from the yankees he's sensational at it he's but I, I don't see why that is such a celebrated tool of that position i'd want to see guys who can hit. throw Guys who can hit. Guys who can call games. Put yourself We've taken a, that away from them, too. I mean, put yourself in a pitcher's perspective, and I, I know none of us were pitchers. I wish I had a pitcher in, in the room, but <laughs> there's nothing better to build your guys' relationship than being able to turn balls into strikes. If he yeah. just barely misses his spot I agree. and you're able to turn it into agree. a strike. I, I, I agree with like, what the, builds with the, the, what builds the relationship. What builds a better relationship? With calling the game. And, and the other the half game. of the inning hitting a three-run bomb. Okay. Calling the game, I think, is <laughs> is pretty important. Sure it is. It, that builds a great relationship. But if you miss the zone, you miss the zone. Cedric Mullins just if walks. I, if I you miss throw him out of second base. Pitcher's going to like that. There are Twitter accounts that show all of these missed, missed calls. And they are morning. egregious. They were egregious this year of these missed calls. And that is that sh- is unacceptable. That That's that another not, element of this. That should I, not I, I hate be the idea of... But this is this umpire's interpretation yep. of the strike zone. E- each guy's this got their guy's own a zone. little north and south. This guy's a little east and west. The strike zone should be the strike zone. If they can do it in tennis, why can't they do it in baseball? I think it's another thing that when it is here, we'll probably wonder why it took so long. That's my opinion. And I can't wait for it. If they're there's they're, they're they were allowing challenges in these um I think so, yes. I did see that there was a yeah, you there's could like challenge a, a pitch or right. So we're already challenging a lot of different stuff in the game already, and we're supposed to be speeding this game up. But it really most most of most of the games that I saw where they were challenging plays didn't take too long. Um, now, if they start getting really ridiculous with the challenging of of has to be very limited pitches. Yeah, it's yeah. got to be quick, quick to the booth. Your piece back down. No, nope. I would give a manager one per game. Yeah, and if you're right, you get to keep it. If you if you're wrong, that's it. No more. I'm okay with that. Yeah. Back to your your uh, point about a kid growing up and being a catcher. If I was if I was still one of these kids that comes in and does lessons, I'm still working on my on my receiving sure. framing because you got to. I mean, you still have to play the position. You don't have to necessarily. That that's not going to cost you a game being able to. Being that's not going to cost either. It's also not going to cost you a. Uh, a chance to go play at the next level because um, if you can hit you're going to play no matter what so i think that that really helps focus on a little bit less than what you have to to be successful Here, here's the last thing i'll say about it and then ryan will let you have the last word but the last thing i'd like to say i think an unintended positive consequence when they finally go to this and you know what's going to happen it should improve relationships between players and managers and the home plate umpire. You're not going to have that lefty who can rake, who swears that this umpire has it out for him, or his zone is too wide. And if a ball is called or a strike is called, it's not the umpire calling the ball a strike. It's the computer. It's think, the laser. I think that's such a fun part of the game, though. 
And then the yes. umpire, I'm sorry, the, the manager who's chirping from the dugout, this guy's getting squeezed and I can't believe he called that. And that was a strike last inning. All that stuff would go away. And it's just about baseball. And you don't have managers getting needlessly tossed because they're chirping about a ball strike call in the third inning. That sure. would largely go away. That's a fair opinion. But I by think, all means, I think, I think my sweetheart, beloved to, catcher, I think they're going to lose, lose viewership because of this robot umpire. People aren't going to want to watch it. It's boring. Hmm. I think, and well, real quick, I'll, I'll, this is I have, an, I have another it's point kind to of bring, this up, bring no, up as well. You don't get another point. This uh, is my segment. Your point, I, 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 get that. I tell you when to chime in. Okay, you, you let me know. <laughs> if you're playing third base and there's a ground ball and there's a ground ball to third base, and he's barely gotten out of the box, and they just automatically call him out, you don't have to make the throw. They, 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 just, they just make a judgment call based on statistics and, okay, he was never going to be safe at first. He's just going to be automatically out. You can go back to the dugout. How would that make you feel as a third baseman? Mm. That you wouldn't have to make the throw. I know Quite it's drastic. I know, I know it's a leap, but I'm just saying you, they're taking that away from your position. One of the key aspects of your position is making the throw from third to first. How does that make you feel? Give me a, give me a bad or good and then we'll cut this off. I'll say fine. Fine. Okay. <laughs> I'm good. That was just my rant. I knew you guys were going to yeah. king up on me there. You're not going to change my mind. Zach's probably not okay with that because he was an accurate thrower from third base. <laughs> all of my throwing errors, all of my errors were throwing errors. Yeah. So I'd probably be fine I don't with know. it. I, I mean, my, my opinion's not going to change on it, but that's what I got. No, I, I think it's, I think it's a good, good argument. And uh, thank you so much. Uh, I, 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 I truly do see both sides to it at the end of the day. Obviously. Yeah. That's how I feel. But it's going to happen. You do realize it's going to happen. It's going to happen, and I will never watch a game of baseball again. You heard it it here first, folks. (laughs) All right, that will do it for the Clueless Show podcast, powered by Rawlings. Thank you to Zach Schreitenthal. Thank you guys for listening. And Brian Gaynor. Thanks, guys. A very special thank you to Dalton Malden. Thank you to our sponsors, Tanner Tees and Pro 9 Sports. Thank you to our music man, Philip Kramer. And thank you for listening. Be sure to like, share, rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode. You can follow us on all social media platforms at DBAT Nashville.